About 700 years before Jesus lived on earth, there was a prophet of God named Isaiah, and God told this prophet Isaiah to prepare God's people for Jesus, for the coming Messiah. He said, tell them that their God is coming to them, and that he is their good shepherd, and that he loves them, and he is going to lay down his life for them. Isaiah 49 through 11 says, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd of those who trust in him as their God. And he says here that he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them in his bosom and he gently leads those that are with young, which I know describes many of you here today. If you know Jesus today, I don't know, when I read that, I'm just thankful that Jesus is my shepherd. <laughs> Does that make fill you with thankfulness? And, and then I ask, have I told him that? Have I told him how thankful I am that he's my shepherd? And if you don't know Jesus today, he could be your shepherd too. If you trust in him, join the flock Listen to the call of your creator and trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. We're finishing up this passage in John chapter 10 today where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And then uh, he tells us what he's like as the shepherd. He tells us how he takes care of us as our shepherd. If you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to John chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. If you don't have your Bible with you, we'll put this passage on the screen. John 10, 1 to 21, let me pray for us. Lord, as we open your word, we, we thank you for being our shepherd who cares about us. We thank you for being good. You're the good shepherd. We thank you for laying down your life for us, even when we didn't see a need for that or for you. We thank you for all the ways that you take care of us. And as we read your word today, we ask that you would feed our souls, Lord. We ask that you would teach us. Uh, would you use this word to shape us, to change us into your likeness? Please use it to help us turn away from sin and to turn to you in faith. And Jesus, you have all authority over all things. And we ask that you would... Keep away Satan and any evil forces from our property now. We pray this in the powerful name of our King and Shepherd Jesus. Amen. All right, let's, uh, let me read through John 10, 1 to 21 here. <clears throat> this is Jesus talking. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. 
A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? In this passage, we see 12 ways that our good shepherd, Jesus, takes care of his sheep. And last week, we looked at the first six ways, and today we're going to look at the other six ways. And so far, we've seen that first, Jesus cares about his sheep, right? Not merely for his sheep, but he cares about his sheep. Second, Jesus knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. And third, Jesus comes to his sheep, Fourth, Jesus has the authority to lay down his life and to take it up again. And fifth, Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. And sixth, Jesus takes up his life again. And seventh, today, Jesus calls his own sheep by name. Remember that the analogy Jesus is using here, he's describing a shepherd who has come to the sheepfold to gather his sheep for the day. And in this context, he, uh, this sheepfold, the sheep pen, can, contains Jewish people. And Jesus has come to call out his own sheep from among the Jewish people. And these are sheep whom the Father has already given to Jesus. That's why he says he owns them. And since the shepherd knows his sheep, and since the sheep know their shepherd's voice, he says, they will come to me. And in verse 16, Jesus says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And so just as Jesus calls out his own sheep from among the Jews, so also Jesus calls out his own sheep from among the non-Jews or the Gentiles. And most of us in here are in the latter group, the Gentile group. 
Jesus takes his sheep from the Jews, and he takes his own sheep from the Gentiles, and he integrates them in order to form one new flock, and he calls this flock his church. The church is made up of every person who believes that Jesus is God. Every, the church is made up of everybody who trusts in Jesus for salvation and eternal life. Now, according to this passage, why is it good news for you and me that Jesus calls his sheep? According to this passage, how is calling his sheep a way that Jesus takes care of his sheep? Well, first, where is Jesus calling his sheep to? To himself. Jesus has come to his sheep in order to call his sheep to himself. He doesn't come to his sheep and then tell them, go find other shepherds. He doesn't come to a sheep and tell them, I'm one of many good shepherds. I just want you to know that if you pick me as your shepherd, then you'll be in good hands. I'm a good choice. Jesus calls his sheep to himself. He doesn't say, I am a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And Jesus didn't come to his sheep in order to hang out with them just so they could see some cool tricks and see that he was God. Jesus comes to his sheep and he says, I am your shepherd and I love you. And I have a plan for you, and I have a purpose for you, and you need me. Even if you don't think you need me, you need me. I'm God. I don't need you. <laughs> but you need me, and I love you, and I want you, and I'm here to call you to myself. We see how much Jesus cares for us and the fact that he calls us to himself because who is Jesus? He's the fullness of the glory of God. This is what God calls us to enjoy. God, Jesus is calling us to enjoy the greatest treasure in the entire universe himself. He doesn't offer a second best. Jesus doesn't offer us third or fourth or fifth best. He offers us the best because he's calling us to himself. And so Jesus calls us to himself. And also, how does Jesus do this according to this passage? Well, it says that Jesus calls his own sheep by name. Okay? Romans 8:29 says that God foreknew his sheep before they were ever created. He says that he foreknew them in such a special way that it reflects the way that Jesus the Son knows God the Father. And then in the next verse in Romans 8:29 it says that God predestined these sheep to be totally saved and totally transformed conformed into the image of God, into the likeness of Jesus doesn't mean we will become gods. It means we'll be transformed into human beings who perfectly reflect the image of Christ as God designed us to. And then Romans 8.30 in the next verse says that God calls his sheep. And the way that God calls his sheep to himself is by name. So Jesus isn't talking here about the general call of the gospel to all people around the earth, although we need to proclaim the gospel that way because Jesus has sheep from every people group around the globe. We see that in Revelation and many other passages. But in this context, Jesus is talking about how he calls his own sheep by name with power. And that's why he uses the phrase in John 10, like, they must come to me. They will come to me. Jesus knows his sheep by name, and he calls his own sheep by name. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel good 
to know that God knows my name and that he came to call me and he came to call you by name to enjoy him forever. <laughs> Spend time thinking about the, this week. Worship Jesus for this. This is one reason why sharing the good news with the lost is so important because Jesus has left us, Christians, as his ambassadors, his representatives on earth to do the job of sharing the gospel with others. And it's through this gospel that Jesus will call more sheep to himself by name. Jesus calls his own sheep by name. Eight, Jesus shows the sheep the way to safety. In verse nine, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So if you want to be rescued from sin and Satan and death and hell, then turn to Jesus because he says he is the safe door. He is the door to salvation. Now, in the Bible, and specifically in the Gospel of John, Jesus is crystal clear that he is the way to salvation. He says this over and over again. Nobody can accuse Jesus of being murky, okay? He says, I am the light of the world. I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, and on and on and on. God's not hiding the way to eternal life. From anybody. Okay? He's not hiding himself from you. That doesn't mean you're not blind to him, though. You might be blind to him. It doesn't mean he's hiding from you, though. So if you're blind to Jesus, if you do not see God in Jesus Christ, like many of the people we've encountered in this passage haven't, then start by praying to him and say, Lord, will you take these blinders off that I hear about? Will you please help me to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ? Now, why does Jesus say he's the only door of the sheep, of the sheep? Why is Jesus the only way that sheep can be rescued from eternal danger? It seems ex exclusive, and it is, but it's open to everybody. <laughs> it's inclusive in that the call is to everybody, but it's exclusive in the fact that Jesus is the one door. The reason why Jesus is the only door of the sheep is because Jesus is the only one who did what was necessary to save us and to rescue us and to bring us to God. He's the only one who's done it. As God in human flesh, Jesus lived a sinless life. Let's start there as the criteria for what's necessary to save humanity from sin, a sinless life. Who's done that? Jesus. Jesus was hung up, uh, upon the cross. Jesus bore the sin of God. He became the sin of God, or sorry, the sin of humanity, and he, he bore the wrath of God. He drank the cup of God's wrath on the cross for our sins. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose in power and glory a few days later. See, nobody but God could do this. Nobody but God could become the sin of the world and then kill the sin of the world by being killed for us. If you think about this, think about every human leader that's ever existed. Think about every world religion and every social movement, every political party, every important person of a big company. Which of them has ever died for the sins of the world? And which of them was ever perfect enough to even do that? 
None but Jesus. None but Jesus. And that's why the only way to be saved from our sin and from our death is by trusting in Jesus for salvation. We can't add to anything that Jesus did to save us, and so that means we must become united with him. And Jesus unites us to himself when we put our faith in him. In John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's encouraging. Right now, has eternal life. doesn't say will have. You have eternal life. And he says he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You've already passed from death to life if you're in Jesus. Jesus shows the sheep the way to safety, and he's it. Nine, Jesus saves his sheep. Okay. In verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And so when God grants a person faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit does this uniting work. He applies to us what Jesus accomplished by laying down his life for us so that everything that happened to Jesus has happened to the Christian. Romans 6, I've been meditating on that week, just this week. Just read that. It's incredible. The Christian has already died because Jesus already died. The Christian has already been declared righteous in the Father's sight because Jesus is righteous in the Father's sight. The Christian has already been raised from the dead spiritually because Jesus has already been raised from the dead physically and spiritually. And also, the Holy Spirit makes his children into new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So that means your old spiritual self is dead, and God has made you new. And the word says that the Holy Spirit has entered into you, and he's put his seal of ownership on you. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. If you're one of Jesus' sheep, then you have been sealed by him, and he's protecting you eternally and preserving your faith in him until you meet him face to face. In John 10, 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. <laughs> we'll get to that here in the next week or so. Jesus saves his sheep so that they will have salvation from death, salvation from evil, and so that they will at the same time have life with God as they follow him. So there's a point in which Jesus makes us new and we are saved, and then from that point until the point we meet Jesus face to face, for the rest of our lives on earth, it's a process called sanctification. It's a process in which God is saving us, freeing us more from sin, and conforming us more into the image of Christ. What that means is this. Jesus did not save you and free you from sin so that you could continue to engage in sinful behaviors. Okay? He saved you so that for the first time in your life, you could be free to pursue God and holiness. Sin is easy. 
It's easy to show up to school or work and just be one of the guys and cuss up a storm and tell dirty jokes and talk bad about people and lust after women and try to convince yourself and others how big and bad you are. That's easy. Anybody could do that. Holiness is hard. Following Jesus is hard. Killing your bad habits with the Spirit's help is hard. Sacrificing your money to God instead of serving yourself is hard. Fighting against lust is hard. Talking to people face to face instead of talking behind their back is hard. But that's holiness. Blowing up in anger is easy. But being patient and gentle like Jesus is hard. That's what holiness is. And that's where true freedom in life is. Because that's where Jesus is. And in this life, we know that none of us will be perfectly holy until Jesus. But I don't know about you, but I want to fight the good fight, and I want to make war against my sin. <laughs> Romans 6. It's, it's, I, what a great thing. that Jesus says, Romans 6, he says, sin will have no dominion over you. And that's not a command. That's a promise. He's not telling you sin shouldn't have any dominion over you. He's saying you're in Christ. Sin will have no dominion over you. That's the trajectory you're on. And that's what God wants for you more and more in this life. More holiness, because that's where life and joy is. And so as we fight for this holiness, this sanctification that, that, that God is doing, because of what Jesus has done, we can rest as we do that. Because fighting doesn't sound very restful. Sometimes it's not, but because of Jesus, you can rest. If you had to fight for holiness so that you could be good enough to go to heaven, that would not be a restful fight. And many of us have tried to fight that fight, and none of us have ever won, and nobody ever will. But we can rest as we fight our sin because we know that we're already saved by grace and that Jesus is the one preserving and protecting us, and that he is the one who will bring our salvation to completion. Knowing that Jesus has accepted you and that he loves you changes all the motivations for wanting to become holy. Makes you want to know this God who loves you so much. Makes you want to know this shepherd. Jesus saves his sheep. Tenth, Jesus gives his sheep abundant life. In John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So unlike the wolves that Jesus talked about, Jesus did not come to earth to steal you from your family, but to bring you to your real family. Jesus did not come to kill you, but to give you life. And Jesus didn't come to destroy your life, but to give you a better life than you ever knew you could have. Now remember that throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has been trying to get the crowds and the Pharisees to think about spiritual realities instead of only thinking about physical realities. And the same is true when Jesus promises to give us abundant life. Because when we in this physical world think of an abundant life, our mind quickly turns to physical things. Um, to, it quickly turns to owning an abundance of physical stuff. Big houses, nice cars, fancy clothes, lots and lots of toys. And many false teachers teach that having those things is what it means to have abundant life. 
But you and I know there are many people who have an abundance of physical things and are spiritually starving. Right? God created humans with physical bodies and spirits, okay, that, that live forever. And while God cares about our temporary earthly needs, which he does, he also knows those aren't our greatest needs. Because they're here for a little while and then they're gone. Our greatest need is to have abundant spiritual life with God. Okay? And because of what Jesus has done, we can now have that. We can now have this abundant life with God. Now, get this. This is a great verse. If you want to know what is the abundant life, what does that mean? What is eternal life in one sentence? Well, this is what Jesus says in the prayer at the Last Supper, John 17, 3. He says, now this is eternal life that they may know you. He's praying to God, the Father. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The abundant life is the life of knowing God. Knowing God as your friend, knowing God as your heavenly Father, knowing God as your Lord and Savior, knowing God as the one who's united you to himself, Knowing Jesus as the bread of life who fills you and nourishes you. Knowing Jesus as the living water who will satisfy your thirsty soul day after day. Knowing the Holy Spirit as the one who is working in you to produce the fruit of the Spirit, like real God-glorifying love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The abundant life doesn't mean the life on earth is going to be easy for us. And Jesus says this many times. He says, you're going to have trials. You're going to have heartache. And at the same time, he says, but take heart because I've overcome the world. I've overcome it. And so the abundant life begins in this world in which um, we, we know God through our faith, and then it continues into eternity during which we will forever know God and increasingly know God more and more and increasingly take more joy in God himself. Jesus didn't come to earth in order to make life terrible for the sheep. He didn't come to destroy the very sheep that he loves enough to die for. Jesus came to earth in order to give us life with him, a better life than we ever dreamt possible. Jesus gives his sheep abundant life. 11, Jesus leads his sheep. Jesus leads his sheep. In verses 3 to 4, Jesus says, To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So Jesus doesn't lead his sheep by going behind them. He leads his sheep by going before them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice and they know they can trust him. And by going before his sheep, in front of his sheep, Jesus takes care of his sheep in at least three ways. First, Jesus shows his sheep the way to righteousness. In Psalm 23, King David describes Jesus as the good shepherd who leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So Jesus doesn't tell his sheep, I'm here, now go figure out how life works on your own. Okay? No, he says, 
He is their leader who leads them in the way of righteousness. And in addition, this means that in addition to be the, being the object of our faith, which Jesus is first, that secondly, he is the example of our faith. Okay? So if you want to experience more peace and freedom and hope in your life, then you and I need to follow this good shepherd. We need to follow him. And Jesus, again, says it won't be easy. What does he say? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. But he promises this is the way to life. This is the way to righteousness. Second, by going before his sheep, Jesus protects his sheep from danger. Jesus has already gone before us. Jesus has already disarmed sin, disarmed death, disarmed Satan, disarmed demons of their power. Jesus has already charted the course for us to get to God. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And everything else, everything else you need will be added to you. But seek first God and his kingdom. So Jesus has already gone before us. He's already pointed out, we have in his word, these are pitfalls and traps and false teachings to avoid. And Jesus goes before us and he protects us. Okay? And then also, by going before his sheep, Jesus sympathizes with his sheep. Because Jesus has already tread this path that you are currently walking on, he knows what it's like. He knows the blessings of human life. He knows the curses of human life. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to thirst, to be physically exhausted. He knows what it's like to grieve and to be filled with sorrow. Hebrews 4, 4 to 14 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because Jesus can sympathize with us and even empathize with us, we can trust that he really is faithful. He really is true. He really is compassionate. We can draw near to him and ask him for mercy and grace in our time of need, and he will give it to us because he loves us and he has experienced what we're going through. Jesus leads his sheep and he shows them the way to righteousness and he protects them and he sympathizes them in their, with their weaknesses as they follow him. And 12, Jesus leads his sheep to find pasture. In verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus leads us in paths of righteousness. And where do these paths lead to? To the pasture. The pasture is where the food is. The pasture is where we eat and are satisfied. The pasture is where the shepherd makes us lie down and rest. The pasture is where the still waters are, where we can go and get a drink and quench our thirst. Life in the pasture with Jesus sounds awesome to me. <laughs> um, one day in heaven, we're going to experience this kind of physical life with Jesus. But until that day comes, Jesus wants to know that he does have pasture for our souls when we live with him every day on earth. Think about all the analogies he's used in, in the Gospel of John so far. Jesus is our bread of life. 
We take him in through faith and we satisfy our hungry souls. Jesus is where we, where we find food and eat and nourish our souls. He is the food we need. Jesus is the living water. He's the still water where we drink and we take in his grace and where we quench our thirsty souls. And Jesus is our good shepherd who makes us lie down and rest. <laughs> and while we rest, he watches us and he protects his sheep. And he makes us rest because he's already finished all the work to assure our safety. There's no more work to do. And we often forget that, and we want to get up and do more works in order to earn the shepherd's love and to earn the shepherd's acceptance. But he makes us lie down in order to teach us it's taken care of. That doesn't mean that there's no work for Christians to do on earth, by no means. But it does mean that Jesus wants us to know that he has finished the work necessary to pay for our debt on the cross. Okay? That work is done. We need more Jesus in our life. We need more God. Read the Bible. Pick a book and just make a goal of, I want to read this one book and mine it and see what's in there. See how awesome and holy and compassionate Jesus is in his word. Rest in his promises. Read the Psalms. Rest in these promises and be satisfied in your soul. Jesus has saved you in order to lead you in paths of righteousness so that you will find pasture with him. Jesus calls his own sheep by name. Jesus shows the sheep the way to safety. Jesus saves his sheep. Jesus gives his sheep abundant life. Jesus leads his sheep, and Jesus leads his sheep to find pasture. And next week, we'll look at verses 19 and on. But let me close with the same benediction I gave last week from Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for feeding us today. Thank you for being our good shepherd. Thank you for calling us by name, for knowing us and loving us. Thank you for calling us to be on mission with you, to share this good news, to call more sheep into the flock, God, more sheep into salvation. Thank you, God, that you didn't come and abandon us. You came and you left yourself with us in the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're here to minister to us and in us until we meet you face to face. Lord Jesus, please give us more victory over sin in our life as we do our part to mortify the sin in our flesh, to put to death the sin in our flesh, God, by the power of the Spirit. Thank you for being our good shepherd, Jesus. Help us meditate on that this week and give you all the glory for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.